we are talking about a comic book, which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Make it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome everybody to episode 88 of the Trade Secrets Podcast, and this time when I say it's episode 88, it's actually episode 88. Did you get it wrong? The beginning of the last show, and not only did I get it wrong, I didn't correct it until the end of the show, so I'm wondering if there were people who listened to the beginning of that show and went, wait a minute, did I miss episode 87? What the fuck? Uh, this episode we're going to be talking about, uh, we're doing another one of our classic reviews. We're talking about Batman The Long Halloween. Uh, it was a Batman book that came out in 96, over 96 and 97, it was what, 15 issues, 14 issues? 12. 12? 12. One, yeah. Hmm. Okay, 12 issues. Uh, It came out in 96, 97 by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, who uh, Tim Sale was eventually a very big Batman artist. It's at least 13, chapter 13, so... Fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. That's because they have to do the second Halloween. Oh, no, they released them on the holidays was the thing. Right. Okay, never mind. I'm being... Yeah, fuck it. It's early. Flang. Yoingin'. Flang uh, <laughs> uh, Trade Secrets, home of all the flang youngin you can fucking stand. Yeah, flang and youngin blargs and twats. Hey. Uh, so we will talk about that a little later. This has actually been it, it for after three or four shows of like nothing happening in the industry. Uh, this is a pretty packed, uh, packed couple of Everything weeks between happened. the shows. Um, and I, I, I do feel the need to bring it up. Uh, we will have our, our one depressing moment of the show. I didn't win any money in Vegas. Yeah, that's that's it. Sure. Um, yesterday for us, clearly it'll be a few days later for everyone else, but yesterday for us, uh, Leonard Nimoy passed away, uh, which sucks. Like um, I said this on Facebook. I'll say it again. But like he, the very, very first memory of any science fiction thing I have in my life was when I was like five or six years old. I was on vacation with my parents. They were watching an episode. They turned to watch an episode of Star Trek and it was like literally my first memory was turning to the screen and seeing Leonard Nimoy try to mind meld with a rock monster. (laughs) And that like uh, it's a memory that you know I it's not the only thing that got me into geeky stuff but it it was the first. It's the very, very much what started me watching Star Trek with my parents, and it's it's sad to see another member of the the old crew go. Yeah. So. Nimoy did a lot of really cool stuff this life, and I appreciate that. Like everything that's come out about him after his death is like, hey, look at all this random stuff that maybe you didn't know he was doing. And look that's at how awesome cool. of a person he is, yeah. right? It's like Here's there's the letter to a biracial girl who's who's writing him and mm-hmm. being like, how did Spock cope? Uh, yeah. And here's like him fighting for equal pay for Nichelle Nichols, right? And his uh, like all of his photography, yeah. especially, and the and the project that he did with uh, full figured women, you know, it was really really neat. Yeah, um, I had no idea he so. did it. Is it weird that I remember him more from like Fringe? And he was great in Fringe. Uh, the That's mi- what a lot of people say. The miniseries of uh, oh fuck, 
Oh, not after many summer dies a swan. Um, if you if you if you legitimately actually remember him more from those than his Spock, yes, it's weird. You're a fucking weirdo. I'm not a Star Trek person. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm sorry. It's. I know it's strange. Well, that's I was the thing. Always... I don't think you had to be right. Like it's the cultural it was... iconography of Sco- of Spock. Spock. Yeah, he's okay. <clears throat> so Spock Especially was one in nerd thing, culture, but like. As far as like me thinking of Leonard Nimoy, mm-hmm. that's not the association I make because he had some brilliant roles as yeah. other people. Uh, he did a reading of uh, War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. He did, um, fuck, Aldous Huxley. It was one. Of, it was his most famous book. Uh, 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 Brave New World. Brave, Brave New, New World. World. Thank you. Jesus. Thank you, Ann. <laughs> I know it had world he, in the uh, title. <laughs> <laughs> his uh, his performance in that was fantastic. Nice. I don't think I ever saw that. And I know, and I know that it's not, uh, it's not fine literature or fine movie making, but v- doing the voice Wrath of Khan. Oh my God! Let no, me tell you. No, no, no. The voice in Transformers. The voice yeah. of Galvatron in Transformers. Galvatron. Like that Transformers was uh, the movie Transformers was an the movie. Amazing, amazing film event. I thought that was Orson Welles. No, no, no. no that was, was Unicron. Unicron. Okay. No, it had so it was star studded. Yeah. Was, like Eric Robert was Stack. In there. Yeah. Like yeah, there's some people. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, you know we've we already lost uh, Scotty and McCoy. Now we lost yeah. Spock. So they're well, they're all like ninety at this point. That's fair. I mean, well, and and uh, DeForest Kelly was significantly older than the rest of them yeah. as well. Like, uh, and they even depict that in the show. You know. So anyway, let's move on from that. Uh, just wanted to make sure we brought it up because it, it's he was a very important piece of nerd culture. Yes. So, and it turns out, you know, in addition to being Spock, he's like, ju- he was just an awesome person. So, he lived long and prospered. Yes. Uh, there's a few things that came up in between shows. I mean, we can mention the, the Aquaman thing, right? Like, there was a picture of Aquaman. Unleash the seven. Hooray. Unite the seven, sir. Valor Morgalis. Who is number seven? All is Aquaman the Flash? must die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, that's that's in the Flashpoint. That's uh, it's Wonder Woman's okay. deal in the Flashpoint. I get it now. Yeah, I don't care. I mean, it it's cool that they that they're trying real hard to make Aquaman cool by basically eschewing everything that is Aquaman I, in favor of something completely different. I wanted to see him with the trident hand. That's all I wanted. Oh, that would have been cool. We don't, haven't seen his. Have we seen his hands? Did we see both his hands? Yeah, his Does both. He, he has hand? two hands. Dang it. He was holding a trident in the book, so he's, uh. yeah. I mean, Aqua Conan's cool, but I'm just like, meh, okay, whatever. Aquaman's a dumb character, always has been a dumb character. But just imagine no, no, not always. Not always. I'm just saying, like, well, I am getting... can't see the look. Yeah, I'm I was going to say, there's a fucking <laughs> look right now. But no, like, um, there was a brief stint about, I'm going to say five or seven years ago, when Aquaman actually cut his hand off and whatnot, the development they did with him at that point was really interesting because it didn't mm. like everyone was underwater and it was dealing with the Atlanteans, mm-hmm. and it was great because it's like, holy crap! You actually thought of a way to make him interesting and relevant by taking his powers away, so he's just a dude. Well, yeah, but that's it. it, it I just want to see the the Jason Momoa version, like super serious, 
But I want his one. I want his pants to be a really bright color. Two. I really want to. As soon as in pants, I'm like, where are we going with this hand? I want his like dorky, dorky ass seahorses to still be there. You want to see him ride in with fucking bright orange pants on a seahorse in a super serious movie? I thought it was really funny when someone, you know, of course, a lot of people were complaining about how gray and dull the picture is. It's like there's no color, and it was the same thing with the Wonder Woman shot. Right, yeah. it was just all very brown. Everything is bronze. Um, but I thought it was silver and blue. Somebody took. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't no. Somebody took uh, the picture of Jason Momoa and just like cranked up the the saturation, and the color is there. Like it's still the green and gold and everything. So you're on saying his stuff, but uh, he had the wrong Instagram filter. On. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, he had the. Uh, the uh, Zack Snyder filter on his Instagram oh, turned wow. on. Did uh, the 300 sequel ever come out in theaters? Yeah, I've heard it's really bad. Well, I mean, it, I, did you expect anything other than <laughs> no. that? Well, I mean, I, 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 I kind of expected mediocre but fun, and it, it turns out it was actually just fucking terrible. So, like, so bad that it's not out the other side of bad right. and it's awesome. It's just bad. It's just bad. So, I went to see Transformers last year. Ugh. Uh, I was real on drunk. purpose. I was real drunk. Okay, I was hoping that that would make it a better experience. Turns out it didn't. Yeah, uh, but um, there was a preview for three hundred, the sequel. Yeah, does Rise it have a name? Of, Rise, Rise of, of the sequel. Rise of the sequel. That's what I, something that's, like that's that. Yeah. All the credit we're going to give it. <laughs> and I saw someone riding a horse on a boat jump off the boat into the pile of bodies in the water and then spring with the horse off of the bodies that were floating into the water onto another boat. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. Just nope. Yeah. But I the mean, bodies weren't on fire. No there was good. fire all over the oh, place. Okay. Okay. I mean, at least the first one, like the first one is definitely over the top, clearly. It's fun. But it and it's but it's fun and at least it's not like um it's not completely ridiculous in its you know, in its depictions, sure, but not like like when they're fighting and stuff, it's just kind of fighting. It's badass fighting, but it's just fighting. It's not just it's we not like supernatural craziness. The elephant yet. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you kick a dude in the chest, you throw a spirit at God, whatever. It's it's yeah. it's on that line. Yeah. So we're talking like Lord of the Rings battle scenes, not the Hobbit battle scenes? <laughs> I haven't seen the Hobbit, uh, but sure. Lord of the Rings battle scenes, not the Hobbit dance scenes. <laughs> That's that is the line. Uh, yeah. So the other thing, one of the other things that came up in the, between the last shows was the fact that, so they announced that Fox had ordered a pilot for Lucifer. And we all went, yay! And we all went, yay! And then the, like two days later, they talked about how the pilot and the show is going to be a police procedural. I love procedurals. Where Lucifer, where Lucifer is helping the LAPD solve crimes. I love procedurals. But I, I hate sure. this concept. Not everything is right. a procedural. Everything. I want to see Sesame Street, the procedural. <laughs> okay, that, yeah. I actually got into a Facebook conversation when this news came out um, with a couple of my buddies that, where we were like, man, everything's a procedural. And then we were trying to at first seriously think of things that would be like unturnable into a police procedural but got nowhere and then just ended up doing a bunch of you know magnar pi and all kinds sure. of <laughs> ridiculous parody things uh i see that's i was thinking magnus pi robot fighter but whatever. <laughs> oh that, that's good I like it. uh yeah i mean i like procedurals too don't get me wrong like and i like really well done procedurals like true true detective was fucking fantastic the wire true detective um i would to a certain extent say that 
Oh, my brain. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the one that takes place in L.A. with the crooked cops. Uh, There's I'm one? Just, I, yeah, I, I don't know. The Shield. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, the Shield was good. Uh, and I, I, I enjoy those shows, right? I, they're too. fine, but... That was, but that's Powers, though, right? Powers is the police procedure. Exactly. Can we, can we do a different comic Ta-da. book movie that isn't a police procedure? I mean, even to some degree, Arrow, Arrow's technically a procedural yeah, because yeah. it's basically him, you know, investigating super criminals and trying to stop them and it's, so it's like it's, i mean it is definitely a police procedural yeah it, yeah it cracks me up in his intro when he's like oh people think i'm just an ordinary forensic scientist <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. okay um but this was not like what worries me about this is that they've said something similar with uh with preacher with what they're going to do <laughs> with preacher where i guess see? see you weren't here for the last show but i guess what they're going to do with preacher uh, as it stands, is that um, the f- the pilot episode or the cu- first couple episodes are going to be split between... Um, it's going to start technically slightly before the comic starts. And it's going to be split between Jesse Custer as a normal human uh, dealing with his congregation and Genesis, like, body-hopping different priests trying to find a host. And then here's where it gets stupid... At the end of the pilot is when Genesis finds Jesse Custer. And in the comic book... That kills the entire That kills the entire congregation. In the show, it's not going to. It's going to blow up his church. But I guess they're turning the show into this weird procedural type where Jesse Custer is going to be using the power of Genesis to help members of his congregation with problems and stuff. And it's just like, these are... I feel like... So, like, Lucifer and Preacher are two very good examples of, of comics that, that address these, like, like they take religious mythology and they use it as the core of their stories. And I feel like anytime that's the case, movies and shows kind of chintz out because they're afraid like, of what... Supernatural? So I feel like... Yeah. Okay, one of my, my biggest problems with this whole Jesse using the power of Genesis to save his congregation is that the fucking story is about the redemption of Cassidy and Jesse. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, Cassidy's going to be like, start out as awful people. Yeah. He, he is a sack of shit. He is a wife beating sack of shit. And Mm -hmm. in the end he redeems himself and he's rewarded for that. And in the process, this sort of sets in chain of events that where the killers kill Scott. But, um, like it's a story of redemption, and if you don't start with these characters in this really, really bad place, I mean, Jesse is an alcoholic who has absolutely no purpose in life. Mm-hmm. He redeems himself in the end, and it's you know that's the entire point. Of right. This. If you take that out, then it just, and, the, and that's damn it. That's the other part to me with Lucifer is like, why the fuck would Lucifer be helping the LAPD? There's no like no, the character he give in a the shit com- about the LAPD. The character in the comic books doesn't give a fuck about anybody, like, including God. Right. So, <laughs> like his <laughs> his fuck field is like the Baroness. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just simply. I, I feel like I've maybe rubbed off on you just a little bit. I want you to think about the fact that you said he doesn't give a fuck about anybody, including God. <laughs> that is something that would have came out of my mouth about <laughs> fifty episodes ago. Well, and it it just. He, like, it doesn't. It feels like a cop out to as it were, <laughs> uh, to to take these kind of epic uh, stories with a religious theme and and nerf them into 
simplistic rehashes of shit like fucking Brimstone and the 101 Lives of Blackjack Savage. I don't need to see that shit again. Like, but give you me, will. But I will. Oh, yeah. I think, I think you're right on, though. Part of it is that it because it's based in mythology of extant religions, yeah. um, pe- people get nervous about that and don't want to blaspheme all over television, which what? Which but, is... Uh, for the listeners at home, can you please explain extant? Uh, is the opposite of extinct and a super useful <laughs> word. So, What is... What's funny to me is you mentioned Supernatural, right? Yeah. And I actually think the first five seasons of Supernatural don't necessarily shy away from it as much. I think, in fact, they get pretty deep into that religious mythology when when it comes down to literally them caught in the middle of a fight between angels and demons where both of them want them dead. And, you know, they... they, You're doing it right. they, They deal with archangels and uh, high-ranking demons, Lucifer's in the show. Huh. Um, they deal with the voice of God, Metatron. you know, Metatron? Metatron's in the show. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So I feel like the best way to deal with Judeo-Christian mythology is to, like, choose a really specific subset of it, like Dante-based uh, Catholicism or something. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I would go as a, as a writer. Um, also, as a white writer in America, I would feel a lot better about doing Catholic mythology, for example, just not that I'm Catholic, but yeah, then like, <laughs> I, without doing a lot more research than I have, I wouldn't want to like write a bunch of Hindu stuff because sure. I, I feel like I would be blaspheming everywhere. It would be sucky. <laughs> just chucking that blaspheme around. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, it's disappointing to hear these kinds of things because it feels like, uh, it feels like chicken shit Hollywoodizing of stories. I, I feel like of, if, of stories that were successful because of their experimentation and because of the fact that they, especially Preacher, because of the boundaries that it broke in telling a story that was wildly outside the norm for the comic book industry in its time. And now they're just going to like shit all over it and turn it into something milk toast. Fuck. Preacher's, what, 25 years old at this point? 20 years old? Yeah. 25 like, years ago was 1990. It was later than that. It was maybe like 93? No, I think it was late 90s, wasn't it? I thought it ended. It was like, I don't remember. Yeah, we can whatever. look it up. Um, I feel like it was in the vertigo resurgence but of the 90s. But still, 20, you know, 20, 25 years. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. Wow. Um, it, it was in the, and that's why it was so, like it came out in the 90s, which is why it was also so far out there because the 90s was the, you know, fucking holographic cover, polybagged superhero Rob Liefeld, you know, cock punching days. Uh, Meanwhile, so, in like column B, there's like Sandman and Preacher. Yeah. And Johnny Homicidal Maniac. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. That was 97. Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol. Um, Invisibles? Uh, yeah, I think that was... In that era. Yeah. Uh, planetary. <sighs> but, <laughs> on the other side of the TV coin, Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction signed a deal with Universal TV that they have already said is going to include a sex criminals TV show. Whoop, whoop. It's going to be a procedural. <laughs> <laughs> a sex procedural. <laughs> yes. It's, it's all about Kegel episode, <laughs> episode 36, the Alabama crab dabbler. <laughs> <laughs> um... I'm excited but wary because I don't know where they're going to put it, you know? Yeah. It's like what that's network will take that. <laughs> There's <laughs> Oh god. I I uh, uh 
Dear God, I hope that they end up just like being like, yeah, Universal, you're great and all, but we're just going to put shit on HBO because you won't let us have well, the to, nudity that we need. To be fair, Universal is just producing it, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that it can't yeah. be on something like Showtime or like Stars is doing a lot of stuff like that, right? Look, Stars, glowing Stars dicks did, is a plot point. <laughs> right. I mean, like Stars did the... did to be a fly on the wall during that pitch. <laughs> Stars did the Spartacus shows, right? And those were like I actually liked the first season of Spartacus. Spartacus, I thought it was good. Were there glowing dicks? Yeah, no, but there were a lot of dicks. Like there was a lot of full frontal nudity, both male and female, in that show. And seems balanced. And so I feel like if they put it in, if they put it in the right place, as it were, episode two, there will be a lot of good feelings. Uh, Uh. (laughs) But. You know, if they try and if they try and like backdoor it into FX or something, then there's yeah. Episode three. <laughs> so you're saying if they're going in dry, episode four, yeah, that they might not get the, the target reaction they're looking for. Cor- correct. Um, I don't know. I I just I'm cautiously optimistic, but I've watched. I mean, we watched Fox. Order a pilot for Lock and Key, film a fantastic <laughs> one, and then reject it for being other too bullsh- good. Being basically too good. Fox is the one that's in control of Lucifer, which means f- fuck all. Yep. You know, uh, luckily Fox is not in control of of this show. Universal is, so you know maybe we'll get to see it on the UPN. Uh, but I just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm worried. Last, last but not least, and this is Andy's wheelhouse. Battle Chasers is coming back. <laughs> there, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So here's here's the reason why I think it it will succeed, and that is because Joe Mattier has nothing else to do. <laughs> because. Hey Andy, for the listeners at home, can you give me a like thirty second rundown on Battle Chasers? Battle Chasers is every kid's D and D game. It was a nine issue comic that okay. just stopped mid arc. Uh, it's yeah, it's gorgeous. It is literally one of the funnest books ever. And considering it came out in like '99, it was way ahead of its curve. And it's coming it's, back, sort of, but not. No, it's actually coming back. But but here's why Andy is being so skeptical. The reason why it stopped was because Joey Mads just uh, on it. It it was like the first issue came out, and then the second issue came out a month later. And then there was like six week gap, and then there was like a seven week gap, and then there was like a three month gap, and then there was like I think between issues eight and nine there was literally like a seven month gap, oh, God. and it's... then it just fit vanished. And Joey Mads actually left the comic book industry to go work on concept art for video games. So um, the the one that we got that everyone knows of were the the Dark Siders games were both designed and and. Like all he did all the concept work and he did all the design work for those, which is why I'm optimistic here because uh, he's planning on doing a video game out of it and he's got the resources to make that happen, having been in ah. the video game industry for the last ten years. Um, so they have said that what they're planning, what he's planning on doing, is he's going to finish off the original arc first. I think with a th- with three more issues. You think you'd kind of have to at that point, right? Um, so it's kind of like kind of like what um, they did with Stray Bullets, right? Okay. Like Stray Bullets forty one basically wrapped up the story of the original Stray Bullets before he moved on to other miniseries. Killers, and um, there's a new one now. Yeah, there's I can't remember what it's called at the moment. Yeah, neither can I. Um, 
But so they're going to wrap up the original storyline, and then the plan, from what they said, was to do a video game and to do three issue arcs uh, of new Battle Chaser stories, which. It's a small enough chunk that seems reasonable that a small enough chunk that Joey Mads could like do a three issue arc and as long as it closes off, you know, then he can work on another three issue arc. And if that, you know, if 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 it doesn't come out, then at least we get an ending. Right. Um, So one of the nicest or most interesting things about Battle Chasers and that you'll appreciate is that the protagonist is like a 13 year old girl. That's, um, that's nice in, in like a dungeon fantasy, crawling type. In a fantasy setting because she has these gauntlets that she got from her dad that give her super strength. Nice. Yes, but have you shown her a picture of Red Monica? <laughs> is she a super sexualized 13-year-old <laughs> oh, girl? No, no, Red, no Red Monica is okay. not 13-year-old. She's probably 28 or 29. Literally 65% of her body mass is boob. <laughs> but, oh, okay, on the other end, if you look at... Um, like Everyone is like the I super some... stereotype. Like, there's the old man who is like the old man. Um, the the paladin guy who's with them is like, he's got shoulder pads on top of his shoulder pads. Oh my. But everything is just... Red Monica's hilariously over The thing is, no, no, no. On but purpose. Like, look, look at that picture and just think of the saggage as she oh, ages. Oh, I know. At, like over the course of a week. Yes. There was, so, so... Red Monica might literally be the most hypersexualized character I've ever seen in comics ever. More so than Vampirella? More so than what? Who? Vampirella. Vampirella. Yes. Hmm. In my F? opinion. Um, yeah. I mean, because. Is that based of... on appearance or behavior? Like, does she. <laughs> okay. <laughs> appearance. <laughs> She has head balloons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, and the reason that I say this... It was this, an ancient curse that was wrought on her family. You shall be destined to have head balloons for breasts. Well, and, the, and there's also the... Um, there's a really famous alternate cover to Battle Chasers where it's all red Monica with her back turned and her butt oh, showing. A lot of butt. And a Battle Chasers logo tattoo on her ass, right? Oh, I mean, that's, that's a porn shot. It is, and so, so I might yes. have that cover. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if it's you're using it as porn, good job. You're doing what it was obviously intended to be. But no. to 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 your point, the funny thing about Red Monica is that in the comic books, she's really not like she's that, she's, she's well written as a character. She's actually a really really, really well written character, and a lot of the characters in the book are, um, and. There is there is a wish that I that I that'll never happen because it didn't happen originally. I wish I could go back in time and I wish at some point Joe Madriera had had purposely designed her as a a spoof of hypersexualized characters. She's, she's an Amazon. I'm excited for Battle Chasers regardless because here's the main reason why it, if he I don't give a fuck about any of the other shit he's doing. If he f- does the three issues that wrap up the original storyline and they collect all that into one hardcover, I'm good. That's all I want. I don't give a fuck about anything else that he does. But you know that there is a collection that does end mid-arc. There's yeah, a hard yeah. co- the hardcover collection. Oh, I have that hardcover yeah, so collection I. that ends... It just... It, 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 yeah, it's it's like story, story, done. What? No conclusion? Yeah. I feel like no other genre can you get away with that in, except I, for TV, maybe. Right. <laughs> Okay, so for the last two weeks, we have been reading Batman. (laughs) Bees, my God. Uh, Batman The Long Halloween uh, came out in 96 and 97 by Jeff Loeb, who is now 
president or I have no CEO idea. of DC or something like that. But he's he's executive producer on almost all of the DC TV shows and stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, was you know he wrote a lot of their really big uh, Batman stuff and and a lot of their Flash storylines that are really cool. Uh, and it's written by or drawn by Tim Sale, who was big in the '90s, but I haven't seen much from him lately. Have you? I don't know. Um, I see him in Emerald City every year doing. Yeah. I mean, because like after, I think I don't know if he's like a like slow or just picky about his work, but I know that um, after Long Halloween there was Dark Victory, and then there was Catwoman, then went in Rome, and he did a couple of Grendel books. I remember from mm. way Wake back the when. Devil, yeah. Um, so yeah. I think he's like, probably just picky yeah. about what he does. Well, no, that's fine. I just, I remember. So we'll we'll start with the art. I think I, I remember when I was a kid in the '90s, and I was very, you know, I was very imagey, and in 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 the McFarlane era, um, I did not like his art at all. Oh. Did not. So what's funny is that I he 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 feels like a product of the. 80s and early 90s Frank Miller school of art. Yeah, um, there's a lot of strong blacks and whites. And yeah. Drama. And why are you laughing? Bees! <laughs> Jesus. Um, I'm watching it right now. <laughs> God. Uh, and at the time, I didn't like... <laughs> I am derailing the entire podcast with yeah. bees! <laughs> okay, stop it. Uh... And I just, I don't know, there was just something about his art that didn't click with me as a 14-year-old, right? Um, one of the things that I that I realized too late is, or just recently, was that this book is way newer than I thought it was, right? Because this is, this is one of those books that's spoken of in the lexicon of classic Batman stories that, are, that have endured over time. Um, and... I thought that this was a mid to late 80s book. Turns out it's a mid to late 90s book. Um, So at this point, I was already in college, which is probably why I didn't read it originally was because that was the... Like when this happened uh, was right when my comic book collection burned up in a fire and I got out of reading comics for quite a while. I think this is... Eddie would probably disagree with me by saying like Death of the Family and a couple other um, books would be considered classics that are modern Batman classics. I think this is the last modern Batman book that's considered a classic. Like the latest chronologically, like this is the newest book that is a Batman classic. Okay, so you're, so not, so like an old school Batman, like in in along the lines of like the Dark Knight. Killing Joke, Killing Joke, and yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, because there was kind of a, there was kind of a lull between um, this and Hush. Hush, I think would have been Hush would be like the, the the like the like that's the gap in my opinion of like the new classic Batman stories. Sure, mm. um, which is actually something that since we brought up Hush, it's a good segue that I wanted to bring up about this story. Um, they're both written by Jeff Loeb, and Hush was the first bad book I read. And I just recently reread Hush. Um, and I think I, sp- I, I know I spoke about this on the show, but I'll, I'll talk about Hush for a minute because when I, the first time I read Hush, I wasn't a fan. I didn't. I just didn't like it very much. I thought it was kind of lame. Upon rereading Hush, it's a lot better than I thought it was. Um, but one of the things that struck me reading through the Long Halloween for the first time is how 
ridiculously structurally similar the two are. Yeah. They are this it it they could very easily have been written from very similar outlines. Uh-huh. Um he's got this like when Loeb is given this um this like structure to be like okay you have 12 or 13 issues to tell a story in the Batman universe and he's like sweet issue two I'm going to bring in this villain issue three I'm going to bring in this villain issue four I'm going to bring in this villain and then this villain's going to show up and Catwoman's going to be a foil and I- Poison Ivy's going to be controlling somebody and and the Penguin's going to show up and blah 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 and through this whole thing there is going to be an underlying murderer mystery that's going to turn out to not be any of those people um, and it's the same structure as Hush mm-hmm. and yet Hush for some reason is considered like like a lot of people don't like Hush. A lot of people think it's flat bad, which I don't understand anymore. Like I, I when I read it as a kid or a you know a college student, I was just college like a young whippersnapper. Yeah, when I read it as a college student, I was just kind of I wasn't really into Batman at the time, which I'm sure colored my opinion. But, um, but now reading the two of them so close to each other, it's sh- shocking to me how similar they are. Like, Hush feels like a rehash, almost, of The Long Halloween. Um, Even so much as to bring in uh, a character who turns out to be a villain um, and then is, like, um, is not a normal character. Like, Hush, you know, Hush was not a, was, didn't exist before Loeb invented him. Um, and then became a, a character later. I don't think they ever bring Holiday back, but um, Holiday's yeah, Holiday and Zaz are both actually yeah, they show up every once in a while. So okay. I, I think that one of the interesting things about both Hush and Long Halloween is the more that you're invested in the Batman universe, and the more that you know the background details, the more you get out of these stories. Sure. Yeah, I could say that a lot. Like because uh, you know Zaz, uh, he's a serial killer as well. Mm-hmm. But he's only in like I don't know maybe five or ten like Batman stories. Not yeah. that many. He's not the Joker. He's not Two Face. Right. He's not Killer Croc. Mm. He's you know literally a bottom rung yeah. of you know the Rogues Gallery for Batman. But if you know about him, him being in this story and the Calendar Man being in this story are interesting because it sort of expands on their mindset. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like I, I mean he's, he positions the Calendar Man as the Hannibal Lecter of this particular story. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just uh, I mean you know, like everyone knows Riddler, everyone knows Penguin, everyone knows Poison Mr. Ivy. Freeze, like Poison Ivy, right. uh, Catwoman. Catwoman. Um, but this is one of those things where if you have you know, like maybe you read a story back in like ninety one or ninety two and you're like Zaz, that was an interesting character. Whatever happened to him? You flip through this, you're like, oh, okay, he's been in Arkham the entire time. Yeah. That makes sense. It's kind of interesting, and I kind of appreciate it on a world-building world level, that there are characters like that who, yeah, they got caught, and they didn't miraculously break out. They've just been chilling in Arkham. Well, see, that's the weird thing to me about this, is this is a, I mean, this is clearly a flashback comic. Right? Yeah, it's, because, a, it's basically your one. Yeah, because it's, it's um, Jim I mean, Gordon is still, Jim right. Gordon, Jim Gordon is, is still young. a captain. Yeah. Harvey Dent is still Harvey Dent. He's not too, well, um, well, and what it said in the we can do spoilers. This show is all about spoilers. Yes, yes. this is basically a Harvey. This is basically a Two Face origin story. story. Yeah, um, which is another thing that I wanted to bring up about the structure of this story is that um, I am I, another thing I was surprised by is how much of this story is is 
is clear was clearly used in the creation of the Dark Knight or of um, the Dark Knight the movie. Yeah, like the, the it's it's nearly the same like progression of story. Just you know, pull some of the excess uh, villains out and replace them with the Joker. Right, we'll put the Joker in in more prominent role. Harvey Dent, it's the same I believe in Harvey Dent story. It's the same story of like the mob is is the having Falcon, the Falcons and the Marcones. Yeah, are yeah. having problems with with somebody, you know, fucking with their enterprise, which in that turns out to be the Joker instead of a, a, a random villain. But yeah. that was because that was the movie that movie universe's introduction to the Joker instead of it being the Joker just being a side character, you know. Yeah. Um, which is actually one of the things that frustrates me a lot about this particular book is the fact that they bring the Joker in real early. Um, basically where he he shows up and he's pissed off that this holiday person he's is a killing right right the he's Joker, a total MacGuffin. he's a MacGuffin. that's the entire point of him yeah but it it's it's aggravating i mean i mean just because it's such a well-known villain who's the MacGuffin? no it's that i don't think that the MacGuffin was um executed well uh mm. in so much as uh, they don't wrap him up as a MacGuffin enough to me. He just kind of fades out of the story and never shows up again. Um, whereas I, I would have liked there to be more like conclusion because he's in like three issues, right? Out, yeah. of, a, out of a 13 issue run and then just kind of poof and he's gone um, without a, without a hell of a lot of, explanation as to why he was pissed about holiday like like why he was angry that holiday was holiday was getting I mean, fame. sort Get, of like so he's well, raining yeah. in on my territory this, this is my city <laughs> so i want to talk about the resolution of the book for a minute and i want your guys opinions on it do you feel as if it was just like i'm assuming that it was planned from the start but i don't feel like the reader had any idea no, I think it, no. There were I, not very many clues dropped at all. That is my that is my one. So for for listeners, um, I, I'm sure it. I'm going to say that even though we have a spoiler warning at the beginning of the show, I'm gonna, we're going to be talking about humongous spoilers for this book if you've never read the Long Halloween. So, and I would recommend reading it before finding out who done it. Yes. Um, so from this point forward, be aware. Spoiler. City. We're going to talk about who done it. Um, that is the part that I hated the most about this book. I literally, I loved every second of this book until the last four pages. And that reveal was so ham-handedly handled. It was such a, it was just this like giant block of of character talking to themselves exposition. Mm. And it, it, it actually pissed me off because... I don't mind the conceit. I hate the execution, right? Um, and for for people you know who are listening, we're talking about the fact that at the end of the book, through the whole book, um, it's a it's a Harvey Dent origin story, Harvey Dent Two Face origin story, and one of the main characters in the book is Gilda Gilda, uh, Gilda Dent. Dent, which is Harvey Dent's wife. Mm-hmm. And at the very very end of the book, we find out that the holiday killings were at least partially if not fully executed by Gilda because there she were two holiday killers like Two-Face and one of them was his wife. Yeah. Oh. Um, well, see, and I got the I actually got the impression that um I got the impression that Harvey Dent was not one of the No, holiday I don't no think it was, was Gilda and It was uh, Gilda and and, and uh, Antonelli, Anton, uh, Antonio, something generic right? Italian generic name mobster, mobster guy. 
uh, Generic. Generic Car- Carmine Genero. Falcone's uh, lackey or son. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm totally related to Falcone's, by the way. And I just, I don't know. It, it was just so frustrating to have, to have there be. What you feel is a terrible wrap up to an amazing story? Yeah, because one of the things that I like this is we were talking about procedurals earlier, and Batman is basically a procedural. Yeah. It's a superhero procedural at, at its best. And um, one of the things that I feel is necessary for a successful procedural is that uh, the clues like, needed to be there. The, there need to yeah. there need to be clues there, which I th- I do think there were a few clues because she kind of at the end talks about how there were these things that were found that led toward Harvey Dent that were actually her instead. Um, and that's fine, but I, uh, like... I wanted more of a window into the internal lives. Like, we get some of it, but not quite enough to justify the ending. Like, the the lives of um, Gilda Dent and also um, Barbara Gordon? Yeah. 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 Um, like, we see that occasionally, but... I mean, we get such a nice window into how the whole, and this was something that they were talking about in the, the introduction of the exciting giant version um, with colors, that uh, like we, we see how the triangle, basically, of Batman, Gordon, and Harvey Dent as DA works, and how like that's a pretty efficient bad guy catching machine, because right. you have to have all three, or else it's madness, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and because Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face, you see sort of... In the like, not in this book, but in modern day Batman, you see how the system is out of alignment because only two of the three necessary parts are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, this, they did such a lovely job, like capturing sort of the the what could have been bureaucratic back end of that, and then they sort of like they have some scenes with the women, but not enough to give me enough of an insight into them to have me like really. Like, I had a moment of being, like, kicked out of the fictional dream sure. when it turned out to be Gilda. And yeah. then I was like, okay, okay, I, kinda, I like that as a twist. I wish I wish that had worked out better. I And that's how I feel, because it... Um, it was not a... The setup didn't justify the, the twist, right? Like... There are certain times in certain stories where you 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 know they they come out with the twist and you went you go oh that's awesome and in this case I'm just like what 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 well, really okay because it felt cheap you know it and that's the thing I like the idea of the plot like I like her being the other holiday killer that's yeah. great that sure is a whole drama that we didn't get to see on the page at all and it, yeah. I think it feels cheap because like. Half of the book took place off of the page, right? Well, and I and I I also really like I really like. Find, can you find this fucking asshole? The other holiday killer's name for me, please, because I'm yeah. t- Calendar Man. <laughs> holiday. No, wait. Those are the two that go back and forth with. Yeah, the, that's a funny scene when they're like stuck in Arkham, like just saying the names of holidays back and forth at each other. <laughs> yeah, it feels very like I am Batman. I am Groot. I am Batman. I am Groot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the thing about him that I really, really liked, and I think this is something that uh, it's a bit that, that I feel like, um, requires more interpretation than, uh, analysis, uh, because I don't think he built it very well, but I, the, to me, the concept here was the first few holiday killings are all Gilda and then in order to 
gain prominence with his father, the mobster kid, the first time supposedly he becomes a, the the holiday killer is when he fakes his own death. Is That's how the progression feels to me after that ending, where Gilda kills a bunch of people and then he fakes his own death and decides to take over the holiday killings, um, but kind of fucks up the purpose of the holiday killings because he starts trying to cover the tracks of his own uh his faked death right when he kills the when he kills um sophia and he kills the coroner because it's just like well now you're not now you're you've lost your it it makes the it throws a wrench in the works for the people who are investigating the holiday killer because it it he diverges from the like it's the holiday killer loses his way right where at one point they've got a there's a distinct purpose killings on a holiday all the Maroney family, all, you know, you're just taking out these mobsters. And then all of a sudden, well, wait a minute. Why is somebody from Marconi's family being killed? Why is, and why is this coroner dying? Like, what the fuck is happening? And that's the twist where he's just like, he goes nuts and he's like, I am the holiday killer because Alberto, thank you. Where he, he's like, I'm sick of being shit on. So I'm going to take on the identity of somebody that will give me power power amongst my family. Um, but I don't know. I, I just like so much of the story is so well constructed. And then to have to have the twist thrown at you in such a ham handed way just really kind of aggravated me at the end of this story. So I would have really... Um Sorry for the listeners at home. This is going to be kind of difficult to explain unless you're actually looking at a copy of the book. I would have preferred the story after the resolution where it shows Gilda um, basically incriminating herself. If uh-huh. they would have just shown, you know, okay, so Batman caught the killer, blah, 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 and then just show the all the of that ha- stuff with no speech bubbles. No speech bubbles and just this page where you know that that was not... Yeah, you're yeah, seeing right? her burning all the you're, evidence. You're seeing someone burn the evidence. You know yeah. it's her. You, it's got the outline of her hair. But I'm saying, like, if they would have taken that outline out, oh, so hmm. you, you would have known that someone else was the killer, or that there was another killer, well, but you don't know who it is. See, and, hmm. and here's the thing: is I don't even necessarily mind the reveal of Gilda as no, one I of like the holiday Gilda. killers. I think that my problem with it is that in the end, in that end scene, those four pages, she's like narrating the whole fucking thing to herself, and that is something that has always aggravated me in comics: yeah. is when a character is just blabbering out loud about all of the shit they've done wrong, and I'm like, nobody would do this. Like, give her, give you know, have the art take over at that point. I like right? the idea of having her burning the stuff with nothing except for maybe I believe in Harvey Dent. Sure, yeah, right? Because then you also leave a little bit of interpretation to the to the because then you leave the interpretation of the reader, did Gilda do it or is she protecting her husband? Right. Right? Like which is what is she doing? And and I feel like he tried so hard to hammer that twist home that it ended up just feeling like I was getting punched in the face by it, you know. So as a, as a sort of tangent, I mean, it is really easy to be critical of stuff, and you know, we're looking <laughs> yeah. at this what fifteen years or whatever after it was released. It's I, kind of the point of our show I, is to be critical. Well, I of understand stuff. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that this you know, is a, it's also a very good Batman story. It's a great Batman yeah. story, and yes, the ending is ham handed, but you know, given the consideration of 
if you look at the whole picture, sure. I don't think that the ham-handedness of the last four pages is enough to ruin it for you. Yeah, ruin it. Like I, I mostly agree. It doesn't flat. I mean, I mean, I said it earlier. It doesn't flat ruin the story for me. It just takes it down a peg. It's frustrating, especially because I think partially because of my expectations. And I'm thinking about it. There is some stuff that that very subtly foreshadows Gilda as the killer partially that like when they're doing forensic investigations they're like oh it could be could be male or female you know we've got stuff that's appropriate sizes for like guns etc that you know whatever a woman could use woman could use <laughs> that actually um, really fucking frustrated me well you know you know about guns little, it's a chintzy so. little gun because we get fuck you I wanted to see Gilda just blowing dudes away with like a deagle Tommy gun <laughs> My wife, my wife shoots a forty-five. So, like this, this—it's it's small like enough Vic and dainty Pens. enough for for a woman to use. Boy, it's strong enough, enough to kill a man, but dainty enough for a woman. Look at this gun; it's painted it's, pink it's and it's wrapped in it's flower not, tape. It's not oh, actually going to kill anyone. Um, and there's like one of the death scenes where. Not this one. I don't know. Uh, where it's like it alternates between a scene of like Harvey coming home and having a conversation with Gilda and like her blowing shit up, yeah. which I think works, but because that wasn't like consistent um, whenever she was killing someone, we didn't necessarily see a scene with her surrounding it. I think that it would have been more powerful if, if we'd gotten more like very subtle clues like that. I also think that a lot of the interactions between uh, Harvey and Gilda are kind of generic. And it would have, not all of them, but to an extent, I feel like, I feel like a lot of the family interactions seem very generic. Like they're not yeah. as specific to the people and who they are yeah. as they could be. Like the women are just sort of like, oh yes, and here's here's the wife, here's the girl. Which would have helped had they been more specific. Would have helped to build Gilda's motivation exactly for that for what she was doing. She's, you know? she's not a fleshed out enough character for mm-hmm. me to truly believe that that's what she's doing because we don't we don't see her desire yeah we just see like typical disgruntled wife of da who works too much yeah she's not she's a stereotype person until like pretty much close to the very end yeah right up to the very end but like andy says i mean aside from bitching about the way they handled the (laughs) ending the rest of the book is fantastic, and, and, it's real and pretty. It, it is definitely one of those books to me that is uh, Jeff Loeb really, really likes just pulling the entire fucking Batman Rogues Gallery into everything he writes. He's I just think like, that's fun. He's just like, I've got a limited space. I'm gonna put everybody here, and in this case, I think it works. Like oh, we, yeah. we were we were comparing it to, or I was comparing it to Hush earlier. In, in this case, I think it works better. The character, the the characters that he pull in work better as actual plot devices than they do in Hush. Where in Hush, it very much felt like I've got Jim Lee doing <laughs> artwork. I want him to draw Superman, <laughs> right? I so, want everything from Jim Lee right in, now. Yeah, right now in one book, I want to make sure to have iconic. I, I, art. I can see the script. So in this panel, Superman is going to be fighting against Lex Luthor. Solomon Grundy, Killer Croc, Darkseed. Who else is cool? Yeah, and it actually right. says who else is cool. <laughs> Whatever. Add like three more. Put them in a pot. Aquaman. You're the one that suggested this book, and you've probably talked the least about it. I, I mean, 
it's one of those weird things where going back over the book, one of the things that I loved about it that I originally read was um, I read it as individual issues. And it was super exciting for me because I didn't know where it was going. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can imagine, you know, not having the instant gratification of just going on to the next issue and knowing, okay, this is what happened next. This is what happened next. Uh, a buddy of mine and I used to talk about this book as it was coming out all the time. We were trying to figure out, you know, who's, right. the, who's the holiday killer. Like, that experience over the course of a year was amazing. <clears throat> and I feel like the trade loses it a little bit. It's still a fantastic story. Like it's mm-hmm. my favorite Batman story. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know like 15 year old or 15 year ago me who was not 15 <laughs> uh and current me have sort of different viewpoints and I'm having a hard time separating those two because my experience was so strong reading it as mm-hmm. individuals mm-hmm. that I feel like that's influenced my ver- my opinion of the trade. Which I think is completely reasonable. Like that's how we interact with books. Yeah, and 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 I'm and I'm because you know my opinion on how to read comic books. I'm the exact opposite. I would have hated reading this in singles and waiting and waiting and waiting. Oh, oh I would have liked glorious. that. Glorious. I mean, it's fine, but I actually really enjoyed reading it as a cohesive single story like over the course of a couple weeks where I was just like okay I'm it's like reading a book right and and yeah I I think that because it's a book (laughs) like the layers that you get or that I got from reading it with the gaps in between and trying to figure out where the story was going and really digging into it sort of gave me this very unique experience that I don't think you're capable of getting anymore how do you think that colored your original um, feelings about the ending and about Gilda like did that feel like more of a exciting uh, twist that worked so I felt like this is me trying to remember you know literally sure, almost yes, two please. decades ago uh, that I was caught completely off guard by it and I felt like I as the reader had missed something which I don't know if that says you know something but like looking back at it, no, I didn't miss anything. There wasn't anything there. <laughs> but I didn't. I wasn't upset by it. I just felt like I hadn't figured it out correctly. And that's actually that's actually exactly how I felt when I finished the trade. Yeah. Uh, and I went back, and the same thing. Like you know, now that we're talking about it, yeah. analyzing it, having gone back and looked, you're right. It's not that we missed something. It's that it wasn't there. Um, it was probably planned out from the like beginning, but two it wasn't foreshadowed. Little enough. things that could possibly suggest, mm-hmm. or three little things, but. I I I wish I wish there'd just been a few more um solid clues that were yeah. pointing at Harvey Dent, right? That would have been fine. Because that that is the point in my opinion. The point of her revelation is that you're supposed to think it's Harvey to the to the degree that even Bruce Wayne thinks, thinks it's, it's Harvey. Harvey. Right. Um and I just didn't feel like that they they punched that home quite they punch it home with Bruce Wayne. They don't punch it home with actual like clues yeah. that so, lead the reader there. And I mean, Harvey does do the last killing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was technically three holiday killers. Yeah. But I feel like maybe at that point, Harvey had figured out who it was and he was finishing his wife's work. Yeah, maybe. That could have been a really cool scene to write just in terms of having some sort of incredibly understated conversation between the two of them about work yeah like when work is code for killing people yeah and exploding stuff yeah um all of that being said it's still yes it's still a fantastic batman story the best batman story it's a 
it's a really, really well written story uh, for like ninety eight percent of it. The the art I actually so one of the things that I want to bring up before we wrap this up is the fact that um, Andy has the absolute edition, which is uh, published in the original like original colored version, and the one that I managed to get is uh, the Batman noir version, which uh, is entirely in black and white. Get the noir version. Um, yeah, uh, like looking at the colored version. I'm glad I read it in black and white because I think it's actually phenomenally better in black and white art than it is in in color. Yeah, um, if you get the chance between the two versions to read, I would recommend reading the black and white version first because I, I flipped through it super quick and it just leans itself to the story. Oh, yeah. The coloring, I mean, me personally, I actually just flipping through the Absolute Edition, I don't like the coloring in it at all. I don't like the color choice. I don't like the style. Um felt like the colorist was trying too hard to make the art look like Frank Miller's stuff from The Dark Knight Returns oh. um, rather than taking a more like, you know, like a different take on it. But uh, so, yeah, I'm just like the the black and white version is great because Tim Sale's art is so it's like there's so much shadow and it's his lighting is so stark that it works really, really well in the black and white version. My only complaint about the Batman noir hardcover is that the cover itself is a, it's a matte, it's like standard paper, right? It's like a matte paper, almost like, yeah, it does not, it is real easy to mark up. Um, Now, the benefit of that is that paper like this, if you get the right kind of gum eraser, you can erase most marks like that. But um, just be warned that if you get the noir version, it is real easy. It doesn't have a coating. It picks up dirt real easy. You can just put a plastic layer around it to keep it protected. uh, Yeah, you could, but nobody's going to do that. (laughs) Mod podge that shit. (laughs) Um, But in any case, yeah, I think it's better. But... uh, by Barbara Byrne, you go first, um, I would say if I had extra money, I would buy it because it is a very good story and it is a classic Batman story. Yeah. That being said, I would put money other places first and buy. There's like other books I'm more excited to own, but that's a matter of my priorities. I think it's it's a book worth buying. I'm 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 definitely not a burn. I'm waffling between borrow and buy. Um, I kind of lucked out when I bought it because I managed to get the the noir hardcover for half price, um, which is absolutely worth it. If you can get the, if you can get the noir hardcover for half price, which I think this was what thirty five. Oh no, fifty. So I got it for twenty five bucks. Um, uh, if you can get the noir cover for cheap, then great. Uh, the absolute's got to be a hundred, right? Seventy five, I think. 75. Okay. But um you know what I'm just, I'll, I'll go I'll go ahead and say buy because I'm I'm tipping toward toward buy from borrow but I I would say buy it because it is it's a very entertaining Batman story uh and it is it is very well written um as long as you're you know you're in the mood for kind of rogues gallery kind of a weird rogues gallery and a and a strange twist ending. Uh, it's definitely by, in my opinion, like this year one, Killing Joke, Arkham Asylum, like these are the stories that define Batman for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like any like of that, the year one stuff specifically. I I love origin stories mm-hmm. and Long Halloween, 
not so much Dark Victory or When in Rome, but um, any of that like Batman first year as Batman where he's fucking up and mm-hmm. he, he's not you know he he's not learning super confident. He's he's learning how to Batman as and just put. Those are the best Batman stories in my opinion. On episode 89, we will be announcing uh, all of our next shows through episode 100. Um, We already know that uh, our long read for episode 100 is going to be Preacher. The whole run. Yes. (laughs) Because, you know, for our 100th episode, we really... We did sit down and think about what long-ish comic books in that kind of 60-issue range would would be worthy of the 100th episode of our show. And <laughs> literally years and years go by, and every once in a while we still slip and call them issues. Call them issues, hey, I yo. know. We, we did that once? Once, for the yeah. zero. Um. And Preacher is just, like, it was kind of a unanimous, we were talking about things that we wanted to read, and then we're like, what, what about Preacher for 100? And everybody went, oh, fuck yeah! And it will not be um, the side stuff, no Sand of Killers, no yeah. Face, no Good Old Boys. It's just the core 60-issue storyline. 63-issue? Is it? I thought it was 60 flat, but no, it's it, it was supposed to be 60 originally. It goes a little bit over that. Okay. Uh, for the next three... Uh, episodes. <laughs> Fucking almost did it again. See? Ah, it was a oh, really now, now that it's now that it's now that it's warmed <laughs> into my brain. I'm just like, uh. um, for the next three episodes, we're going to episode 89 is going to be the massive. We're only going to do the first trade, even though the the comic itself is finished now at at 28, 27 issues. I don't remember how long it ran. Wow. Um, uh, that's finished. <laughs> yeah, that's finished. Uh, but we're going to do the first the first trade, the first six issues. Um, and then for episode uh, 90, we're doing Lucifer. <laughs> Stop. You're, you're, you're fucking me up here now. I'm trying to talk and you're laughing at me and I'm just like, <laughs> bees. Bees. <laughs> My God. Uh, <laughs> for episode 90, we're going to do the long read of Lucifer. Um which you know is it's it's funny having I'm now two thirds of the way through the run and and having this, all this bullshit come up with the Lucifer oh. TV show right in the middle of my first read through the oh, of the comic, no. um, and then for episode ninety one we already figured out that we're doing next wave Agents of Hate. Uh, it's a so Warren good. Ellis kind of. It is not part of the Marvel crossover <laughs> like a event. Marvel comedy comic sort of. It's like a it's it's fun. It's it's fucking fantastic um bodok birth <laughs> in the light of world of warcraft servers <laughs> oh god <laughs> uh so yeah those are our next three episodes and on uh episode 89 our next episode we will announce what we are doing for episodes uh 92 through 99 uh slash 100 uh we've got a lot of good suggestions uh that for things that we're going to do um, and we'll get to those. We'll get to those then. Uh, if you would like to be a part of any of these shows ever, uh, you are more than welcome to email us at geek. Way to go there, buddy! <sighs> it's all breaking down. I did great for fucking bees. sixty minutes and of this episode, and now just <laughs> <laughs> email us at my god bees. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, 
Yeah, you can email us at tradesecretsatgeekerific.com or you can hit us up on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash podcast. which actually we've had some really good discussions on there lately. Of um, We had a really good discussion just this last week about how DC is turning, um, is canonizing Catwoman's... Retconning. Uh, That's the word you're looking for. <laughs> Retconning. Canonizing Catwoman's bisexuality. Uh, which hasn't that always been a thing? It's ca- I kind of thought it... has been a thing. Me too. I, but it's the canonization of it where they actually come it out and official. say it's official... We're going to talk about this yeah. instead of subtext. Instead of making subtext. She's, yeah, she's always like, like you said in there, like I, when she's talking to Poison Ivy and like there's all these female characters that she encounters that she's like, she's constantly in that kind vibing. of space. Yeah. So, um, but there was some really great discussion with some of our fans and, and a lot of people from our show, including, you know, Eddie still participates and he's in Germany. Um, and then uh, you can also hit us on Twitter at Trade Secrets Pod. Uh, we're all individually on Twitter. I'm at Geek Elite. Andy. Mathtastrophe. And. And Bane tweets. Joel, when he's around, is at My uh, God, Superflow. <laughs> I said Superflow. <laughs> you sure did. Joel is apparently a uh, a type of tampon snake. <laughs> uh, oh. Superfly. <laughs> spelled weird. Oh, God. Let's, let's, let's wrap up my brain and get me out of here uh thank you everybody for joining us for episode 88 of the trade secrets podcast all about batman the long halloween thank you andy for letting us into your home thank you Anne, for joining us for the show i believe in harvey dent uh i am luke and we are out